And welcome to a special edition of Milt's Tuesday Tracks Podcast. This is the interview edition, and we are bringing back subject matter expert Mark Salzano here to the podcast. And thank you very much, Mark. Hello. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Thanks. Pleasure to be here again. I always enjoy our productive conversations. Terrific. Terrific. So today we're going to touch upon uh, two areas, and we might go into other uh, aspects as well, of heavy metal and rock. So first off, I want to talk about what we agree upon, how metal and rock has not just well, we're based in the U.S., and so I just want to make sure I have listeners from around the globe. But as speaking of that, it has an international reach. And so I want to lead to you, Mark. I know you. there's specific bands you have in mind that you've been following and you, whose content and music you enjoy. And they cover the different continents around the globe. So I'd like to ask you, can we go, let's go over that. And we appreciate your, your input here. So take it away, Mark. Yeah, so what we thought would be fun to do, um, I'm going to focus on three bands that are favorites of mine that I've discovered at different points in my life as a music fan. Um, one from Canada, one from Italy, and one from here in the US. That uh, the common thread, because they're all quite different from each other in sound and in style, is that any enterprising metal fan or a broad-minded rock fan would probably find something to love about all three of them. So I guess I'll jump right in and I'll begin with the one from Canada, which is the first of the three that I got into back around 1994, if that's okay. Um, so uh, I first read about this fantastic Canadian power trio, not Rush, not Triumph, but it's a band I've shared with you many times called the Tea Party. They uh, comprised of Jeff Martin, uh, Stuart Chatwood, and Jeff Burroughs, uh, guitar, bass, and drums, but also many other instruments, world music instruments, uh, Middle Eastern, French Canadian, Asian. Um, heavy rock with progressive rock and world music and indie rock elements, um, very heavy at times, but a great deal of light and shade and nuance, um, poetic and entrancing lyrics, often rooted in literature, um, very mystical. Uh, very Middle Eastern sometimes or North African feel to some extent. In fact, they're nicknamed Moroccan Roll by some <laughs> critics and fans. Oh, okay. Yeah, they split up for a while in the 2000s to reunite in 2011, 2012. And um, think of Led Zeppelin and The Doors if you want to compare, uh, but um, not exactly. Those are just sort of a, a baseline. And um, as I said, metal fans, not strictly speaking heavy metal, but metal fans, definitely most metal fans would, would get off on the sound and the songwriting. Right. Um, Jeff Martin's been compared to Jim Morrison of The Doors, although he doesn't like the comparisons. He's not a major Doors fan, actually, but um, similar vocal timber, excellent singer, and uh, he also you know plays guitar and um, even kind of looks a little bit like Morrison in his appearance, but um, just that's just happenstance. But uh, yeah, that's a band that I think I've, I've first I've read some magazine articles about them and I bought their new album at the time, The Edges of Twilight, without even having heard them because I was so intrigued by what I read in Livewire and Rip, which are both now defunct magazines. But um, I brought it home that day and uh, it was 95, I think, that I bought it. Yeah, I brought it home that day and was just absolutely floored. And I collected most of their catalogs since then. Mm -hmm. um, I'd recommend uh, Seven Circles if you're checking them out. That's a great album from before they split up for a time. 
great road tripping album I find that to be but um triptych and uh the interzone mantras their first uh full-length album splendor solace all fantastic and they released a new one a few years ago um they're working on a new ep now so yeah I would that's one I would recommend for anyone to delve into I wanted to touch upon the comparison you made of a lead singer with Jim Morrison. Now, was that based on a physical description, his vocal style? What, what, why the comparison there? But both, actually, both. Um, kind of a dark, brooding vocal persona, and, and Jeff Martin um, looks a little bit like Morrison. Uh, you know, dark-haired, kind of you know, similar, somewhat similar appearance. Not, not exactly, but um, they're actually most well. They're not a household name in the States, very popular in Canada and Australia, actually, where I think Martin lives now. But um, yeah, that's one of the first. And uh, I guess the next one I'll go into um, will be the one here from the US. Uh, if I if I can continue, or do you want to take over for a bit? No, 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 continue, please. Yes, continue. Sure. Okay, so Ashbury, who I've also shared with you, originate from Arizona. Um, two brothers, Rob and Randy Davis and various musicians that have worked around them. I, again, discovered in my reading about them that in a magazine called Iron Fist, not precisely a heavy metal band, but one that's caught on massively with the metal audience. They're playing metal festivals. They've become friends with, you know, power and epic and thrash metal bands and really uh, getting some long overdue recognition. They, they released an album independently, privately in uh, 1983 called Endless Skies, which after reading about them, I bought and was, I checked them out on YouTube, but then I purchased the album, absolute stellar. You know, these guys deserve to be massive, but sometimes I guess things that fly under the radar can be a little more special too. Um, epic rock, they've been called, um, hard rock, southern rock, country rock, progressive rock, AOR, um, a little bit of folk, but um, very varied, like, all every but everything they do sounds like Ashbury. Um, the, the guitar work is is phenomenal. The brothers sing and harmonize really well together. Uh, and um, yeah, it's uh, endless skies. They've released three albums since 1983. Um, actually, I have the Stygian Witches, their newest, it just came out in 2019. And in between was something funny going on, which came out in 04. Um, that's actually got more of a laid back country rock feel, not as hard rocking, but beautifully done. I mean, everything they do just flows so well. You get lost in the songwriting. I mean, no matter what they're writing about, they keep writing about a woman who did them wrong and then turn around and write about, you know, mythology and, uh, you know, fantasy and, uh, you know, wizards and prophets and knights and warfare. And then they'll turn around and just write about, you know, current events or, or rock and roll. And it, But everything they do sounds like them. It all fits together no matter what they throw in the blender. Nice. Okay. Uh, yeah, let me uh, uh, chime in real quick with uh, my, my take on now my big interest. Although they've, they've been around for, I would say, almost 10 years, uh, this rock band there from Philadelphia, and they're called The War on Drugs. And mm -hmm. I've actually done a couple of uh, podcast episodes dedicated to a couple of their tracks. Yes. And yeah, uh, so one of the things that I enjoy about this band is that it's uh, it's, it's an interesting ensemble. They've had actually many different musicians mm -hmm. come and go, and they've used different types of instruments, uh, not just those guitars and drums, but synthesizers, etc. And the lead singer has a Bob Dylan-ish kind of vocals to him, uh, as well as the uh, lyrics too. They're very uh, picturesque, I find. 
And there's one concert, a, a track for, they have a song called Under, Under Pressure, Under the Pressure, Under the Pressure. And that's, uh, they have a lot of airplay on the radio, but th this song, so anyway, this, uh, this was from a concert in the Netherlands. And it is, for me, it's one of the most impressive like, uh, performances. Uh, just, not just the, sh the show itself, the, you know, the song, and I mean, which is amazing to me, but also the audience, the ambiance, the atmosphere there, everybody's having a great time. And it was a sunny day and it just, wow. Um, and they've gotten a lot of comments on YouTube. This is on YouTube. Um, you know, people just agreeing how impressive that, you know, that performance was. Uh, and also, um, and real quick, uh, it's a fun, I guess, fun fact, uh, which is one of my favorite bands, uh, rock bands from all, I mean, all time. I mean, for me, but they've been around since the late 70s. Uh, everybody's heard of them pretty much. You uh, too, a band from Ireland. And I, I always uh, ask, what, 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 how did they come up with the name U2? I mean, I was just thinking, is that the, the clever, like, you know, phrasing like uh, U2, like, you know, Y O U 2? No. Actually, it's supposedly, I believe it's from, uh, which is, is, to me, it's amazing because they're like the most peaceful band, so to speak. They don't, they're not very, you know, uh, they're not war hawks or anything like that in, in a sense, but I, I think it comes, I'm almost positive, it comes from a name of a, a military craft uh, in the late 60s called U-2. I don't know yeah, what so it was. Spy plane, U-2 U uh, spy plane. Um, that was the plane that was shot down over the Soviet Union in 1960, which caused a big row at the time. Ah, I see. Oh, okay. All right, great. Well, Harry Powers, I think, was the pilot. Okay, uh, okay, intriguing. Okay, awesome. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, back to you. And uh, you have a, a third band you have in mind you want to talk about. The third I want to touch on, I discovered more recently. I, um, I first, I saw them on a, a YouTube channel called the New Wave of Traditional Heavy Metal Full Albums, which deals with um, mostly newer bands playing what are considered traditional metal styles. And this band's one of the best of that current crop of new bands playing old school metal. They've got the leather and studs. They're, they're from Italy around Rome, I think. Um, Tony Palapoli, the singer, goes by Tony Steele. He plays guitar and sings. Um, awesome lead guitar work. Uh, he and the other guitarist, um, they've changed guitarists once or twice. But um, his vocals are reminiscent of Tim Baker, Sierra Thungol, young Hansi Karsha, Blind Guardian, a little bit of Blackie Lawless from Wasp. Um, yes. Yeah, esoteric, enigmatic, atmospheric lyrics. Uh, one reviewer said, I wrote this down actually, so I wouldn't forget. Um, that, uh, the lyrics reference uh, pathfinders, wanderers, lords, knights, and executioners. It's, it's almost like a dreamscape, sort of, you know, medievalism and, and things drawing from philosophy. Like there's a song called Plato's Cave, which is rooted in the philosophies of Plato. If you if you delve into that and you'll learn a little bit about what it's about. Very Italian, you know, drama, passion, capital R, romanticism, but very tasteful guitar work. A maiden priest, obviously all the way back to pioneers like Wishbone Ash and Thin Lizzy with that you know, just striking lead, double, double lead work. Um, yeah, and actually they have that, they don't really, Tony's vocals don't sound like Rob Halford really, but they have that moody, serious, brooding, purposeful quality that Priest had in their early days of, you know, 74 to 79 when they were first, you know, breaking out. And also one critic compared them to Merciful Fate, although again, uh, Tony Steele doesn't sing like King Diamond, but they have, the, the reviewer said they have that, that obscure, insular vibe of early merciful fate where 
And, you know, they sound like they could have come from the 80s, but they don't sound like they're self-consciously trying to sound like they come from the 80s. It sounds natural. Whereas some of the newer bands, even though they're good, they sound like they're consciously trying to replicate an era. So, right, yeah. yeah, I mean, not to say it's contrived. I don't mean that. It's very sincere. But, you know, like they're newer bands that they sound like they would have they would they sound like they would have come across in you know say 1985 or 1987 whereas some of the newer ones you know they're 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 trying to recreate it and it just um it seems like it doesn't always come across as being quite as natural but i think vulture's vengeance um that's the name of the band i think i mentioned but vulture's vengeance um they just nail it they they sound like uh they just um you know dropped here from a time machine you know like they they're from you know sometime from the 1983 to 1988 period and they just sort of uh teleported to 20 you know 2020 2021 okay. uh, now uh i take it that especially with the name of the band it's called vultures vengeance that their their tracks are all their songs are all in english i guess even though they're based in italy yes, yes they're italian they sing in english um yeah, and it translates reasonably well because sometimes when English isn't a band's first language, um, sometimes it, um, you know, the lyrics sound a little, uh, sometimes a little awkward. Um, but no, they, they actually it actually translates really well. And I've seen some live videos of them, and they're very, um, very punchy and energetic live. And um, they've been around since about two thousand nine, but they they released an EP and then a full length album just in the last few years. Like the full length record um, was in twenty nineteen. But I recommend any metal fan or even open-minded classic rock or hard rock fans to check those guys out because if you've heard you know some of the foundational metal bands and vulture vengeance probably will appeal to you and um just to go back for a second i mean the tea party who was the band that got off with, they are still one of my bucket list bands i haven't seen them live i'd like to someday they do play in the u.s sometimes but more so closer to canada like uh in the state, well, you know, way upstate New York or maybe, you know, Michigan, places like that. I mean, if they do a full-blown U.S. tour and they're somewhere that would be fairly convenient for me to go see them, I would, I would love to do that because I, I've seen live videos, I have live DVDs, and they're mind-blowing live, so that would be quite a show. Nice. Hey, now, actually, I have a question regarding their name, the Tea Party. Mm -hmm. This is their Canadian, I don't know, is this an homage to that event in U.S. history? To, to the Boston Tea Party, like, how, actually, how do they, do you know? Yeah, actually, no, it's it's a homage to the Beat Poets and maybe, I don't maybe Jack Kerouac directly or the Beat Poets more broadly because I think their bull sessions or their discussion sessions were, were called uh, tea parties. Ah, uh, okay. So, you know, it's, it's actually, again, alluding to poetry and poetry and literature and, and sort of spiritual and mystical themes that are a big part of the Tea Party's songwriting and aesthetic. And, you know, again, a bit of that, a little bit of that Eastern thing thrown in, you know, with the uh, Middle Eastern and other uh, world music influences, along with, you know, Western poetry and literature. So, I mean, they have a song which slips my mind. One of their songs draws on a famous work of Russian literature, and I can't now remember which one, but um, yeah, just good, good writing. And, and it seems like almost any mood you're in, if it's a gray, somber, cloudy day or a glorious, sunny spring or summer day, the Tea Party's got something that fits. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, it wouldn't be a happy to be Boris Kamazov with it, that Russian literature inspiration. Uh, yeah, you know, I forget now. I, I, I'd have to, I have to go back and look at either the liner notes of the CD or just do a little thing or Google or something. But um, yeah, that's just one example. And 
they are very, and, and, and you can attest to this because you've heard them driving around with me or whatever. Um, very, I mean, three guys get a tremendous sound and, you know, just, and over the years, they've incorporated numerous different instruments from different cultures, different, um, you know, different ethnic instruments along with, you know, guitar, bass, and drums and keyboards. So it's, it's very lush, full sound. And it's not heavy in the skull crushing, like death metal or black metal. <laughs> It's heavy, more like in just um, you know bottom heavy, uh, bombastic at times, and you know very evocative and more like a, a swirling sort of like think of again like Zeppelin colliding with the Doors songs like you know Cashmere or in the light, you know just something that sort of swirls around you in this very atmospheric way, and you know you just you just kind of lose yourself in it. Yes, right. And okay, and now let me see. I'm thinking of now the instruments are and you said that they have eastern europe influences or do they have like i, I know i believe Led zeppelin used a sitar at one point or was that the beatles uh do they the have are a norwegian wood I, I know that yeah um i don't know zeppelin may have used sitar i know they used man, zeppelin used mandolins and things mandolins. like that right. yeah the tea party used all kinds of uh, french canadian instruments so Middle Eastern uh, guitars and drums, and they might have used like some Asian wind instruments. I mean, especially on their early stuff, they were using. There was one album; it might have been the Edges of Twilight, where they they listed how many different kinds of instruments they used, and it was just like a very long list of some of which I'd never even heard of. But uh, yes, it made for a very multi-dimensional rock sound. Did they now? I take it that none of the members of the band have the Eastern heritage in terms of maybe their parents or grandparents or what have you, ancestral not ties. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, they're uh, all um, Canadians of, as far as I know, anyway, um, all, you know, Canadians of, of, you know, European extraction. So that, but, but they, 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 they're fans of, of different kinds of music and they would go see because different things I know, like I remember seeing an interview with Jeff Martin from the 90s where they would go over into Michigan and see, uh, you know, uh, African-American performers and, yes. and uh, they, you know, they've played with, you know, various types of, they played with alternative and grunge bands, but I think they might have played with Paige Plant when Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were touring and they might have played uh, with, with Ozzy, I think at one point as an opener, um, but yeah, like they, They've come, you know, they've crossed paths with all kinds of different artists, but they've toured with Canadian progressive and alternative rock bands. Matter of fact, they had a tour set up with a bunch of Canadian bands that were mostly like alternative uh, rock bands, but actually got canceled for various logistical reasons. Um, but yeah, so they, they again, they've, they've crossed quite a few boundaries. And, and I know actually the, the metal band Nevermore, fronted by the late Warrell Dane, um, who was in Sanctuary before, but yes. they actually covered a Tea Party song. So they've got quite a few metalheads who like them, but they deserve to be bigger in the US than they are. I mean, they're very successful, but they don't seem to be as well known here. Okay. Now, in, in terms of shows, uh, I, we touched this uh, in our last interview. Mm -hmm. the, things are, seem to be opening up more and more in terms of venues and performances. I mean, just all around outside music. Now, do you have, have you heard uh, new news regarding metal and rock scene in terms of concerts? Like, I, I, there's some, yeah, like, like Kiss, for instance, that they've been having, 
they're already on tour. It looks like they they've been performing. I mean, yeah, they were set back with COVID, but now they're back. So yeah, their tour is back on, from what I've seen. But yeah, other other artists are listing dates for 22, and there are shows happening again this year. Um, as a matter of fact, I just watched the Black Crows uh, show from New Jersey on YouTube the other night, and uh, it's another band I never got around to seeing. Maybe one day, but um, yeah, so things are happening again. Um, some of the big festivals over in Europe and some of the metal cruises, you know, a lot better done, you know, done on the, the cruise ships and all that. Like some of those may still be held off until 22. So it's a patchwork, I guess. One place is doing things and other places. And yes, that's true. And in terms of, uh, so I, I guess the, the, the days of Zoom performances or, or you know, just a virtual performance are probably, they're, they're probably low, uh, dropping, right? And that's not going to be, that's more of a uh, 2020 state. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, that was, I guess, more of an expedient with, you know, the whole COVID situation. I mean, stuff gets posted on YouTube. I mean, you know, people are posting on YouTube while they're still at the show these days, you know, so... Uh, you can see stuff on online. It's just that that's not going to be your only option, God willing. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I've been to plenty of shows in the last however many years where you know every other person's holding up a phone. And uh, I mean, I'm more in the moment. I'm there to see the show, so I mean, I might snap one cell phone picture or something, but I'm not going to stare at a phone the whole time because I paid a ticket to see a live show. So I'm going to be watching the stage. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would not be the guy with the lighter in my hand. I don't smoke, so. <laughs> You know, I wouldn't have that ready. Like back in the day, you know, like in the 80s, I would not. Yeah, yeah. Plus, like, you don't have to lug a video camera in to bootleg a show. I, I guess, in a way, bands aren't trying to stop people anymore because, first of all, they know that it's going to be inevitable that everyone's going to film it on the phone. And it's also a form of exposure because if somebody posts a show on YouTube, somebody might see the band and say, hey, I never heard of these guys. I'm going to buy the album or I'm going to stream it or, you know, whatever it is or download or whatever it is people do. So um, it's sort of like tape trading was back in the you know, 80s and 90s. You made a tape, you traded it, somebody made you a tape or you borrowed tapes. But you know, now everybody, they share videos or they share sound files or you know, whatever they, it is they do. And you know, the rock and metal bands still sell more physical product, I guess, because as connoisseurs, we like to have everything, you know, the art, yes. the lyrics. And, and you support the artist. You buy a CD, they're going to get more than they get from Spotify or whatever, you know, especially if they're underground. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah, I want to ask you about that. In terms of what are bands doing now to do like low costs or productions for themselves, instead of tapping into like the regular huge labels, you know, are they doing independent work? How is what's the trend like in terms now of? Well, oh, from what I know, and I'm not really an authority on the industry side of music. Really, I mean, other than what you know, you read and what you learn as a fan, but. I guess like some of the, the indie metal labels are still very supportive of the artist. So I guess they have, maybe they have, uh, you know, different types of contracts or, you know, profit sharing agreements and the labels do provide tour support, you know, for the road and help with equipment and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think the, the, the metal labels these days, I mean, not like it's not oh, for most artists anyway, especially in, in rock because it's not quote unquote in the limelight as much, but you know, years ago where if you were a, a big or promising rock band, you might get a multi-album deal and they would develop you over time and, you know, put millions into you. And, and right. that's, it's a different industry now, just based on the way people consume music and what's considered, you know, fashionable or not fashionable. So 
yeah, but I guess, you know, you can self-release things, obviously, and you could sell it through, you know, any avenue, Amazon or CD Baby or, or post on all the, you know, streaming and download sites. But, you know, labels, there are plenty of metal-oriented labels of every kind, and, you know, they'll let the artists basically flourish and do their own work and not try to sort of polish them off and make them more commercial. And, you know, hopefully there's, um, you know, there's, there's support, there's, you know, support with that, you know, with production and with, like I said, with, with tour support and whatever they get. I mean, I'm not in the business, so I don't know how necessarily how all that works. But, right. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, I think having the backing of, of a label, that's actually a good label. I mean, it's, it's helpful because you don't have to do everything yourself. Oh, that's true. Yes, definitely. You know, and so the, the DYI ethic is, you know, very old in rock and roll, especially in think it was in things like the punk scene and all that. You know, yes, I, I mean, well, I, I guess in this guy, in my opinion, in this guy's case, it it, uh, it would. I mean, I, I, a lot of people would initially say if they, but now I've heard his music, the uh, like Wolf Van Halen, Wolf Wolfgang Van Halen. He, some people would say, well, he had the Van Halen's, his Van Halen surname, right? So. That helps, but actually, I'm I'm very impressed with the the music he, he and his uh, well, he actually he himself produced and has done and very talented guy. So I mean, yeah, I mean his his father, you know, the great Eddie Van Halen, of course, everybody you know he's amazing, right? He's a legend, um, rest in peace. Uh, but uh, he, he, you know, guys like Wolfgang were able to show, in my opinion, to the world, hey, I, I can produce pretty solid. Music as well, and I think he's, he's so far proving that. Yeah, I heard some of that, and it's 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 good modern rock, and you know it's it's I think it's a help and a hindrance having a name like that because some people are going to think you only got attention because of your name, or that you're you're always going to be in your parents' shadow. But I mean, look, if you're going to be in someone's shadow, you can't be in a much better shadow than Eddie Van Halen. I mean, changed rock and roll, changed the playing of the guitar. But um, yeah, look, I mean, if you're the son of a musician who's that celebrated and beloved, you, you, if you're musically inclined as well, I mean, you have every right to make music. Why shouldn't you? You know, I mean, it's in your blood, really. I mean, your uncle, too. Don't forget Alex Van Halen's his uncle. You know, exactly. The, yes, the drummer. No slouch on the drum kit there, you know. So, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't, if the guy has musical talent and, and, and uh, he aspires to, to do that, why wouldn't you, you know, and other people in rock and metal, their kids have made music, whether or not they become as quote unquote successful or celebrate, like, you know, what's, what's the difference really? You know, if, if you hold yourself to that standard, if you're Eddie Van Halen's son or Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, his son has a band, you know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And others do as well. And, you know, that's not, uh, that's not really, I don't think that's how they should look at it. They should look at it as a, sort of carrying something on, carrying on a legacy, and they'll have whatever success they have. And having parents behind you who are successful, it doesn't guarantee you anything, but it doesn't hurt you either. I mean, because you, you have that, you know, sort of foundational knowledge and, and you know, you have somebody to con consult with about the business, you know, especially if they're at the level of Van Halen or Iron Maiden. You, you go, go to your dad and say, hey, you know, Dad, you know, what's this? Or, you know, tell me about that. Or what would you do? That's true. Okay, we're going to wrap up this interview. But I have a question that is on my mind now. I recall that you mentioned you have two locations you call home: uh, one in New York and one in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question is: in the future, 
do you see, well, yeah, do you see a resurgence of festivals or like rock and metal and or metal festivals taking place in both New York State and Massachusetts or one or the other indeed during these times or in, or in the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, I think that'll come around. Uh, I, you know, in, in the next year, I think it's going to be, you know, barring some catastrophe, which no one, you know, of course, no one can foresee either way. But yeah, I think things will just continue getting back to normal if for no other reason than people are, you know, have had enough of, uh, of all the, uh, you know, the, the restrictions and the um, impositions on normal life. So things will just keep, you know, progressing back to what, you know, what people are used to. People will want to resume their lives and I think they're just going to keep doing that. I agree, definitely. All right, Mark, this has been a great interview. Thank you very much for coming to the Milk's Tuesday Tracks podcast. And we will uh, stay in touch and uh, look forward to future visits back to the podcast. And uh, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Well,